Darius Mozafarian, I ate two slices of bacon this morning, and I figured that once we were talking about health and salt, you might tell me never to eat bacon again. Is that true? Do you think bacon is a bad food? There's very robust evidence that processed meats preserved by salt or by other preservatives increase the risk of both heart disease and diabetes. That's important for people to know because I think that that intake should be limited now. Never is a strong word for any food. Once in a while, somebody wants to enjoy some bacon or some deli meats, that's okay. The key issue is what's once in a while. You know, once a week at most, one serving is probably reasonable as a, as a maximum. Zero would be better, but if it's something that gives you a lot of enjoyment and you otherwise improve your diet and have a healthy lifestyle, it's probably okay. That one key issue here, though, is that you know we've thought about meats as bad for decades because of fat content, and people talk about it. But I think what we found in our recent paper is that it may be more related to the salt. Darius Marzaparian, it was a natural bacon, which I think means it was salty, but it didn't have nitrates and nitrites. Could that have made a difference? Well, so, you know, one of the really interesting things about nutritional science is we're just learning, you know, what the key ingredients in different foods might be that might relate to risk. And in the case of meats, we've for decades thought that it was the fats in meats that are really adverse for health. But, you know, based on our own work we published last year, we found actually that fresh meats that were not preserved with salt or with nitrates had very different relationships with risk of heart disease and diabetes than processed meats. And processed meats had much higher associations with risk. Now, the main difference between processed meats and unprocessed meats is preservatives, mostly salt. When you say mostly salt, I want to clarify that one because from Scientific American and the report that they did, which was kind of a layperson's retrospective of the literature out there, that the salt is not a culprit overall in heart disease or other risk factors. That's their report that they gave in Scientific American. There's two separate questions here. One question is whether processed meats are associated with risk of heart disease and diabetes. And a second question is what's the mechanism? So processed meats are clearly strongly associated with risk of heart disease and diabetes. And the mechanism needs further study. Salt is a very likely culprit. A second question is what's the association of salt with heart disease or stroke or other outcomes? And so that's kind of a separate question. But whatever the effect of salt and whatever a person's decision is or thought about salt, and we can discuss that in detail, processed meats are clearly linked to risk of heart disease and diabetes, and that link is clearly stronger than for unprocessed meats. And and the reason I want to emphasize that is there's actually a big push in this country, Subway is a great example, to push processed deli meats, low-fat ham, turkey, chicken, processed deli meats, um, as healthy, as healthy options, when in fact I think those are actually the, the, the more unhealthy options than eating a small fresh steak. In other words, with deli meat, That may be the issue, not how much fat is in it, but the fact it's been processed. So if I wanted a healthier choice than my bacon, if I got some just pork belly that had never been processed and steamed it and got a big fat piece of pork belly and ate that, that probably wouldn't increase my heart disease risk or my other health risks. But if I eat a lean piece of processed turkey meat from a deli, that might be an issue. That's what our research suggests. Now, you know, when you start to get to very specific types of individual meats, we don't have the science yet to tell you how does turkey deli meat compared to a pork belly or so forth. But on average, overall, you know, certainly the findings suggest that the processed meats are worse than the unprocessed. I'm not saying that unprocessed meats are good for you. There's healthier choices, so fish, nuts, beans are healthier choices. If you want to reduce your risk, there's even better choices, but at least among meats, if, you're, if you want to choose among red meats or, or meats in general, to choose unprocessed meats. 
And in fact, I believe in your research that was published last spring that it indicated if someone's even eating red meat, such as pork or beef, that it doesn't add to their risk. It may not reduce their risk of disease, but it does not add to it. Yeah, we didn't find strong evidence that unprocessed meat intake was related to, to heart disease or diabetes. Now, there was a trend towards higher diabetes risk, and a study published subsequently to ours did show a somewhat higher risk of diabetes. So I think that that is still an open question. And Even unprocessed meats might slightly raise the risk of diabetes. But there are questions about whether or not that's because of the meat being eaten or because people who eat that kind of meat tend to also eat more... Uh, hamburger buns, or they tend to eat more French fries. Absolutely, yeah. So I think, as I said, that needs to be further clarified. But in both our study and subsequent studies, processed meats always have the stronger risk. Clearly, if you're choosing between the two, you know, one should choose an unprocessed meat. Now, let's split some hairs some more about this processed versus unprocessed meat. And Scientific American summarizing studies included a citation of a 2006 American Journal of Medicine study that looked at daily sodium intakes of 78 million Americans and showed that the more sodium people ate, the less likely they were to die from heart disease. So, um, so there's no study with 78 million Americans, so that number must be, must be wrong. I'll ask Scientific American to check it. It's, it's right there in their report. Okay, yeah, so that's, that's, not, that's not correct. But, but no, so salt and heart disease or salt and cardiovascular disease stroke is a very interesting question. There's a couple of things that are very clear, and there's a couple of things slightly less clear. So one thing that's clear beyond any shadow of a doubt is that more salt in your diet increases your blood pressure and that less salt in your diet decreases your blood pressure. And, and that's very clear. And a second thing that's very clear is that in long-term randomized trials that have been done using multiple types of drugs, whatever type of drug that's used, when blood pressure is lowered, risk of stroke goes down. So, you know, based on just those two pieces of evidence, however you reduce blood pressure with drugs, you lower risk of stroke uh, significantly. And the fact that salt has such a strong effect on blood pressure clearly demonstrated would lead you to believe that salt is a clearly an important risk factor for stroke and likely also for heart disease. Now, the second question then is, well, what about studies that have actually looked at how salt intake relates to disease events, not just blood pressure? What, what have those studies shown? And I would say there's two classes of studies that have been looked at this. One set has estimated salt intake from questionnaires ask people what you eat in the diet and then try to guess what their or estimate what their salt intake is and look at risk. And the other set of studies have looked at you know, 24-hour urines to see at least over the last 24 hours what was your salt intake. There's limitations and strengths to both of those types of studies, but you know, in particular in most Western countries, estimating salt intake from a questionnaire is very poorly done because you can eat a slice of bread that has 75 milligrams of salt and you can eat a slice of bread that has 450 milligrams of salt. And there's no way to tell from the questionnaire which type of slice of bread you ate. You can eat a, a, some cheese, mozzarella cheese, that has 50 milligrams of salt or even servings that have less than that. And you can eat cheese that has three or 400 milligrams of salt. So estimating salt intake from a questionnaire is, is very problematic. As most dietary studies are in that people aren't precise in how they measure what they do. No, no, there's a big difference between sodium and other dietary factors. You can estimate dairy intake well, you can estimate meat intake well, you can estimate fruit and vegetable intake well, but salt intake, because of the problem that I mentioned, that in Western countries it's in 
processed and packaged foods in wildly varying amounts, it's very hard to estimate. Oh, because it's so hidden. I should just contrast that to there's been several studies in Asian countries, in China or Japan or similar countries, where in those countries, salt is not coming in the diet from processed and packaged foods. It's coming from soy sauce or salt added at the table. So since the sources are limited, it's just do you add it at the table, do you add it from soy sauce? The estimates are actually quite good in those studies. And in, in those studies, uh, consistently estimated dietary intake from the diet was associated with higher risk of stroke. So, so I think that there's a difference between dietary estimates, and, and we can talk about the urine, urine studies uh, as well. So be- before we go on to that, I, I want to mention that according to Scientific American, in 2004, the Cochrane Collaboration, which many people consider a gold standard group for evaluating published peer-reviewed studies, said that the amount of blood pressure that gets lowered by reducing salt is something like going from 120 over 80 to 119 over 79, that the effect may not be that significant. And that was their conclusion, is that the effect of salt alone being reduced doesn't hit blood pressure in most people all that much. Salt reduction in people without hypertension, in people who have normal blood pressure and have healthy diets, is modest. It's about one or two millimeters of mercury, as you said. But in people who have uh, high blood pressure or who have poor diets, which is about 70% of the population, the salt reduction actually causes uh, pretty substantial reductions in blood pressure, at least three or four or five millimeters of mercury, and depending on how much, of course, salt is reduced, even higher. Three or four millimeters of mercury blood pressure reduction might not sound like a lot. Even one or two might not sound like a lot. But on a population level, if we reduced blood pressure by three or four millimeters of mercury across the whole population, that's a profound uh, benefit for for heart disease and stroke would be predicted. So, So I think the Scientific American article is talking about healthy people who who eat healthy diets, it's about one or two millimeters, and that's actually a minority of the population. So even a one or two millimeter reduction across the population does have a pretty important population impact. So it sounds sort of like pop science rather than real science to me. I figured Scientific American is supposed to be scientific, but that's interesting to hear your perspective on it. Now, before we go to the urinary studies, the ones where they look at salt being excreted by the urine, when we talk about excess salt and how that may affect health, could it be that part of the problem is whether there's a balance between the salt and other things such as magnesium and potassium? If we put too much salt in the diet without also increasing magnesium and potassium, then the body is just totally out of balance. And if we increase these other nutrients that tend to appear with salt in natural foods, we wouldn't have such problems. It's clearly true and clearly demonstrated um, both from trials and from observational studies that if you increase potassium in the diet, and potassium mostly comes from from fruits and vegetables and whole whole grains, if you increase potassium in the diet, you decrease, you blunt the effects of salt. And And so also if you just eat a generally healthier diet, you blunt the effects of salt. It's still there, but you blunt the effect. So, so there's many ways to counter the effect of salt and, you know, on blood pressure and three different things that, that can be done is one, just to lower salt intake itself, two, to increase uh, potassium intake, particularly from fruits and vegetables and whole grains, and three, to just eat a generally healthier diet. All three of those things 
blunt the effect and, and, and would be important. So, so, you know, salt in natural foods, I mean, there's almost no salt in natural foods, and even salt added at the table is only probably on average about 10% of the salt in the U.S. diet. It's 80 to 90% of the salt in the U.S. diet comes from processed and packaged foods where it's used as a preservative, and it's bread, it's cheese, uh, it's meats, it's frozen or ready-prepared dinners and canned foods and things like that. And what's ironic is, you know, if we wanted to reduce salt, all we would have to do is just reduce our expectations for the shelf life of products. I mean, it is not natural to buy bread and leave it out on the counter for two weeks and have it not go bad. And we, I just spent some time in Italy, and we would buy bread in Italy. And within one or two days, if you haven't eaten your bread, it goes stale or, or it goes bad because it doesn't have that much salt. And so I think that the consumer, if we want to reduce salt seriously in this country, which I do think we should, you know, the consumer and the industry needs to have a different expectation of how long food should actually last before they're consumed. And I think that would actually be a social change that would be relatively easy to do. Now, when you mentioned that there's not much dietary salt in natural foods, in uh, indigenous and traditional cultures, salt has been something that generally is well-loved in the Maasai culture, which eats a lot of milk and blood. Blood is salty. And in the Inuit culture, they were eating broths that were made of sea ice that had been aged, so it had a little bit of salt in it. So it seems like for a long time there are cultures that have at least added some salt to what they eat. And we should point out that the problem with salt and, and blood pressure is not a U.S. problem. Um, there's most countries in the world, many countries in the world, including many developing countries in the world, have much higher salt intakes and have much higher risk of stroke. So Japan is a great example. You know, we think of Japan as a, as a great example of long-term health, and it is. They have very low risk of heart disease, likely because of their high fish intake, but they have very high risk of stroke, much higher than in the United States, and they have very high salt intake. And similarly, many African nations, we don't think of Africa as a, as a hotbed of cardiovascular disease, but many African nations have very high rates of stroke. Um, and also high intake. When you take people who have that genetic background, uh, being African or Japanese, and they move to the United States and start eating the American diet, does their risk of stroke go down? African background certainly increases the risk of both having high blood pressure and consequences of that high blood pressure, which includes kidney disease and, and stroke. There is clearly something about an African genetics that increases predisposition to hypertension and, and stroke. That's not true for Japanese. So Japanese Americans do not have the same high risk of stroke. Once they're eating the American diet, they have risk of other things, but not stroke. Exactly. So they get risk of all the other bad things, but their stroke risk looks more like the average American. Before we get to looking at what happens with our kidneys and how they excrete salt and what we can tell from those studies, I want to be sure that we just are clear on two things. We haven't m mentioned nitrates and nitrites very much. I gather that it's hard to parse out at this point how much nitrates and nitrites in processed foods affect the healthiness of the foods versus the salt in the foods. Yeah. We, that's, that's hard to tell right now. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's true. There's limited animal experimental evidence that suggests that nitrates and nitrates could be harmful, for example, for risk of diabetes or harmful to the cells that lie in the blood vessels. But it's relatively limited evidence, certainly concerning for harm. And I think nitrates and nitrates could be one of the, the culprits for why processed meats are associated with risk. But if you just look at the salt level, salt, salt levels are six times higher, 600% higher on average in the U.S. in processed meats versus unprocessed meats. Just that salt difference would explain, based on the predicted effect on blood pressure, based on the small predicted effect on blood pressure, that salt difference would explain most of the difference that we saw 
with actual risk of, of heart disease in our analysis. So I think that you know 600% higher salt does influence your blood pressure enough that would explain most of most of the observed risk. So I think it's all consistent with salt being a major culprit, whether it's the only culprit, whether nitrates and nitrates are also important, needs more study. Or whether, as you mentioned, that it's the balance between salt and other nutrients such as the potassium in fruits and vegetables and the magnesium, that the magnesium may be a part of that equation too. Yeah, if you, if you have a very healthy diet, if you eat nuts and whole grains and fruits and vegetables and fish and then you know, have one serving of processed meats you know, every other day, you know, you're still going to raise your blood pressure and likely raise your risk a little bit, but the effect is going to be much, much smaller um, and in the grand scheme of things probably relatively small. Unfortunately, there are few people actually doing that. It would be wonderful if we could all improve our, our diets to kind of a healthy, traditional Mediterranean-type or DASH-type diet. Or an Atkins diet, or a South Beach diet. Well, so, you know, the reason I don't like the Atkins diet is Atkins diet... Uh, technically is defined by what you're not eating, just eliminate carbs. Now, the company Atkins has moved a long way and has expanded sort of their guidance so that it's not just reducing carbs, but also eating healthy foods. But, you know, Atkins also recommends reducing fruit intake, and there's very good evidence that fruit intake is, is important for reducing risk of chronic disease. So I, I don't think that's a good idea. So I think that macronutrient targets of percent calories from carb or percent calories from fat aren't very helpful because you can have a low-fat diet that's, that's very good or very bad. You can have a high-fat diet that's very good or very bad. You can have a low-carb diet that's very good or very bad and a high-carb diet that's very good or very bad. So, so, you know, macronutrients alone, percent calories from X or Y or Z nutrient doesn't tell you much about the quality of the actual food that people are eating. So you have to take it all with a grain of salt. And in doing that, let's look at the urinary studies to see how well the kidneys are excreting salt. What's interesting there? So there have been, you know, three large studies and, and a couple of very small studies looking at urine sodium and risk of disease. And urine sodium is great because it actually tells you what somebody has, has uh, consumed. The problem with urine sodium is it's only collected for 24 hours. So, so you may one day eat a lot of salt or one day not eat a lot of salt and the next day have a different diet and the next day have a different diet. So if you're trying to do a long-term study looking at somebody's 10-year risk of disease based on one time point of 24 hours of salt, you know, that can cause problems. So the best studies are ones that have multiple urinary assessments and average them over time, so at least two or three uh, to kind of get a better sense of the person's true salt intake. And so of the three, you know, pretty good, pretty large urine studies that have been done, two showed clearly higher risk of stroke and, and, and somewhat higher risk of heart disease, and one did not. Um, and so I think that if you put all of it together, if you put at least some well-done urine studies showing clear higher risk, you put, you know, well-done dietary estimates uh, from Asian countries showing higher risk, you have the clear effect of salt on blood pressure um, in, in randomized trials, and you have other evidence from other types of trials where if you reduce blood pressure in other ways, you, you prevent um, stroke and heart disease. I think the evidence is pretty overwhelming that salt is an important risk factor for heart disease and stroke. I mean, if we waited for perfect evidence, perfect, absolutely perfect evidence before acting, we would still you know, be telling tobacco country, uh, companies to be giving us uh, uh, cigarettes. There's never been a randomized trial showing that reducing tobacco smoking prevents heart disease uh, or prevents lung cancer. So you know, to, to wait for that type of evidence is, I think, I think silly. And I, I think that the evidence is strong enough that salt 
has a major effect. Now, now whether the effect is going to be as big as we expect or, or maybe it'll be smaller than we expect, maybe it'll be even bigger than we expect, but I think there's an effect there. And since we don't need it in the diet, in the doses that we're getting, there's no reason to be eating, you know, three and a half, four grams a day uh, of, of sodium. You know, we can cut it to two and a half to two grams average in the country, you know, fairly easily without much, much pain or trouble or cost. That's maybe an extra half a teaspoon of salt added to food a day. You know, it's some, but it's not a lot. I mean, an extra half teaspoon is not very much at all. Yeah, a- adding salt, as I said, adding salt to your food for taste is, is fine because that's a really a small amount of salt. The problem is this large amounts of salt that are in food for preservation that you don't actually even taste. I mean, go look at some of your breads that you buy and you'll find a bread that has 350 milligrams of salt. Go find another bread, like pita bread is a good example. On average, has much less, like 75 milligrams of salt. Taste them side by side. You can't taste the difference. So it's really not a taste issue. It's a preservative issue. You know, industry shouldn't be expecting to make bread, ship it, you know, let it sit in the grocery store for a week, have somebody buy it, have them expect to have it sit in their cupboard for a week and then still eat it. That just doesn't make sense. And so I think that we need to readjust our sort of expectations for preservation of food. We don't need to adjust our expectations for taste. I mean, we can still put salt on the food. Another great example is potato chips and and nuts. People think of those as salty foods, but the amount of salt per serving in a potato chip or a nut is much, much less than in bread because it's just on the surface. It's just giving us that extra bang of taste, and I think that's okay. Perhaps we should remind listeners that you think nuts are pretty healthy, but you really don't think potato chips are all that healthy. No, I, I think that you know the, the, the major beneficial ingredient in the potato chip is the vegetable oil, and the vegetable oils are good for you, but starch... You know, starch and salt are, are each not good for you. Now, again, you know, should somebody never eat potato chips? No. I mean, I think that occasional potato chip, you know, once, once or twice a week in a, in a small serving is probably okay. But large servings of potatoes and st- other starches and refined carbohydrates are, are not good for risk of diabetes or heart disease. And you'd think that perhaps we could have more saturated fat and fat in school lunches, and that might be good for kids. So, no, I, I don't think I've ever said that I'm a fan of saturated <laughs> fat. So. You know, a point that I think is really important is we're learning in nutritional science that, again, that that single nutrients alone, most single nutrients alone, focusing on just that can be misleading. And I think there are two exceptions, salt and trans fat. But other than salt and trans fat, I think focusing on single nutrients alone can be misleading. And then in case of saturated fat, you know, we can... Dairy foods, on average, are not associated with high risk of heart disease. They contain saturated fat. Unprocessed meats are unassociated or maybe have a, a, a small association. And processed meats have a very strong association. All of them have saturated fat. So just making a decision based on saturated fat alone, you, you might be misled. Similarly, you know, uh, people are choosing baked, baked potato chips or, or low-fat you know, foods or low-fat cookies or, or, or breads because they have, are low in saturated fat, whereas they're full of starches that are harmful for you. So, so I think that the, my, my point about saturated fat is an ex, as an exclusive focus, just looking at the grams of saturated fat on the label and making a decision about the healthfulness of a food, you're going to be misled. So I think that, you know, we have for, in this country for 20 or 30 years had a, had a focus on saturated fat in the media and in the public, and, and that was, of course, driven by scientific recommendations. But I think we need to move away from an exclusive focus on saturated fat. I don't think saturated fat is good for you, but I think that it's not the biggest problem in the, in the diet. I think the biggest problem in our diet is we're, what we're not eating. We're not eating fruits. We're not eating vegetables. We're not eating nuts. We're not eating fish. We're not eating whole grains. We're not eating vegetable oils. 
And by not eating those things, we're causing problems to our health. And so I think focusing on saturated fat alone doesn't tell the, a person the right message about what they should be doing to change their diet. So I think that's really what, what you know, my, my work and, and, and hopefully my prior statements have, have tried to make clear.